good evening. I want to thank you all for, uh, for the opportunity to come tonight and uh, to present God's Word. I thank Brother Wagner for, uh, well, he actually called me this afternoon and told me that he was uh, not feeling well at all and, uh, and said that he gets a little burst of energy and then he doesn't feel well. And, and so he said that he thought that it would be best for him just to stay home this evening and gave me the opportunity to speak. And uh, I told him that uh, I appreciated him giving me that uh, opportunity, and uh, I thank you all for being here tonight. I ask that you all pray for me. I do want to thank you all for the way that you've accepted me and my wife here at this church. Uh, uh, we uh, appreciate the way the friendliness that was given to us over the over the uh, time that we've been here, and uh, the way that you all greeted us, and and the love that you all have shown toward us. Uh, as a family, uh, you know, when you leave a church that you that you that you love and you love the people, and we still love the people from the that we've left there, it's hard to it's hard to go to another church sometimes. But you all made it easy by loving us and taking us in, and and we appreciate that. And I and I'm speaking for for my wife also. I know uh, she has the same thing. But I want to speak tonight on a, on something <clears throat> that. Uh, Brother Bernard's been talking a little bit about in uh, in Sunday school. I know we haven't got to the part the point yet, but uh, in the book of James, it deals with uh, something over in chapter three that we all have one of, and a lot of times it gets us in trouble. Does everybody know what we're talking about? It's our tongue, isn't it? And uh, one thing that as Christians we have trouble with sometimes is we say a lot of things that that. We mean to say good things to people, but it just comes out the wrong way. Do we not do that? We'll, we'll, we'll try to say a phrase that we've heard before or heard somebody else say, and we'll think, man, this is exactly what I need to say to somebody. And they take it the wrong way, and it hurts them, and you don't know how to, how to change that. Well, I've got five Christian cliches or phrases tonight that I want to say that we should never ever use because they're not biblical. I want to go over those. Now the world has some cliches too, and I want you all to finish these for me. If you've got nothing good to say, don't say what? Nothing at all, right? We hear that all the time, don't we? Now is that necessarily true? Sometimes it's good to say something, right? Even if it's not good, it's something's good to say something. All right, what about this one? You can always find good in something. Y'all ever heard that? That's not true, is it? There's no, I, as far as I'm concerned, there's no good in alcohol. There's no good in drugs. There's no good in sin. I can't find any good in them. I can't find any good in, 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 in things of the world uh, that, that they do. All it does is destroy lives. Now, the world will say there's good in it, but according to a Christian, there's not. But you know, even as Christians, we have a lot of Christian cliches that we say. Now this one's true, we say this one a lot, and it's true, but I, sometimes it bothers me a little bit. We'll say, I'm just an old Christian saved by faith. Well, you know, that's true, we are an old Christian saved by faith, but you know, a lot of times we use that as an excuse sometimes to, to say, well, it's all right, you know, I sinned, I messed up, but I'm just an old Christian saved by faith. But you know, really, in God's word, if you read in Ephesians, it tells us that we're not old Christians saved by faith. We're rich Christians, right? 
We're new Christians saved and well, the riches of God. We've got something to look forward to. Hey, there's many more things that it tells us that we are in Christ than just an old Christian saved by faith. And if you go and you read in the book of Ephesians and you read in Christ I am redeemed, in Christ I am loved, in Christ I am all those things, and you go through there and you mark those things, you'll find out, hey, I'm more than just an old sinner saved by faith. Right? And we need to do that. I challenge you to do that. But one of the things, first place that I want you to, to look at, James 3, 3, 2, it says, For in many things we offend all, if any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able to bridle the whole body. Psalms 19, 14, and I say, I say this verse every day before I go into work. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in the sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. We all say that every time we walk in the house of God. Had we not? When we're speaking to people. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. How many times do we come in, we sit in the pews, and we're thinking about other things than what's going on in the house of God? Huh? We're thinking about things that are going on out in the world when we ought to be meditating upon what the pastor is, is presenting to us. Not only that, in Psalms 49, 3, it says, My mouth shall speak of wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall be of understanding. Do we want to understand what God has for us? Do we want to understand other people's problems? Do we want to understand what they're going through? We say it all the time, I know what you're going through. I've been there. But the truth of the matter is, we're never in their situation. We've never, we've never been in the same situation that somebody else is going through. But we're going to go through these tonight. And uh, one thing that I want to say here is who here tonight has ever been hurt by someone saying something with good intentions, but you just couldn't take what they said the way they wanted you to? Or how about the other end of the spectrum? You said something that you thought was going to help someone, but yet it seemed to backfire. And it happens a lot of times in the churches, Right? And it caused a lot of problems in the churches. It says Christians over the years have become notorious for one-liners. Why? Because most of the time we just don't know what to say. You ever come to that situation? I always heard this. I always heard this situation. Uh, this this thing. God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. To listen, right? Sometimes it's better to be quiet and just listen. I know some of the things that I've been through in my life, some of the people that just came and sat with me and never said a word were the people that I appreciated the most in the situations. Not those that tried to figure my problems out for me. But it goes on, and it say, I say here, it says, sometimes in our desire to simplify truth, we can trivialize and even obscure it. And to obscure the truth is to tell a lie and hurt a situation more than help it. It says, here are five popular Christian phrases that are not biblical and therefore need a memorial service. Number one, you all can help me finish this out. When God closes a door, he opens a, a window. How many of y'all heard that before? Or he opens another door. It says, I appreciate the heart behind this, this statement. It is true after all that God can do anything he pleases. Are we right? He can do anything he pleases. It says, Jeremiah 30, 32, 27, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard 
for me. And the thing that we need to realize, it is his right to do what he pleases. If he decides to close a door on a ministry or something in your a job or whatever in his life, it is God's right to do what he pleases. And not only that, God, that he sometimes redirects our course. Proverbs 69 says, A man's heart devises his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. Sometimes we want to go the opposite way. We want to walk the opposite way than what the Lord wants us to do. But God has a different plan. And then he says, and that he never abandons his own. We know that. He says, and let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He says, but if God closes a door in your life, there's no guarantee he'll open a window. He may not open anything. He may want you to realize you have the wrong address. You ever think of that? Scripture is filled with examples of the Spirit closing doors, windows, and other conceivable entrance to keep one from heading in the wrong direction or at the wrong time. You say, Brother Jared, give me an example of where God closed a door and said, no, you can't. Let's turn over to Acts chapter 16, verses 6 and 7. The Apostle Paul here was all gung-ho. He was ready to get on fire for the Lord. He was ready to take the gospel and present it to this new, this new group. But what happened here, it says in Acts chapter 16, verses 6 and 7, it says, Well, when they had gone throughout Phygria and the region of Galatia, and it says what? And were forbidden by the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. After they were come to Mysa, they were they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. God shut the door on them, didn't he? He had other plans. So when God closes the door, he doesn't always have it have a, an opportunity or a window open. It says, I once heard calling, the, uh, calling as the trifecta of eternity, ability, and opportunity. It says, do you, it, it is, do you like it? Can you do it? And is there an open door? Do you like it? Can you do it? And is there an open door? Now, there are rare times when if the third piece isn't in place, God may want you to break the door down. The sad thing is, as many Christians today, they don't ever take the opportunity to break it down. Missionary Jim Elliott once said that a lot of folks are sitting around waiting for a call when what they need is a kick in the pants. I got a kick in the pants this afternoon <laughs> when I got a phone call. <laughs> it says, but what if God has something else for you entirely? What if he doesn't want you to move to that city? Or take that job or enter the relationship, whether by door or window. See, God knows what's best for our lives. Maybe he wants you to reevaluate in light of affinity, ability, and opportunity. Your internal, internal desires, your confirmed gifts, and your actual options. You see, when God closes a door, he opens a window, is a cliche that needs to die. Secondly, 
The cliche that needs to die is you're never more safe than when you're in God's will. You say, Brother Jared, that's not true. You can't say that needs to die. Insofar as the safety here is eternal or something like, or, or means something like in the right place, this maxim is glorious. As far as our eternal security, it is true. We're never more safe than when we're in, when, when we're in God's will. But almost every time that I hear it, the person is referring to physical safety. It says, over the years of my years as a Christian, I've been attacked by the world my employer, my co-workers, my family, and either other Christians for my stance on certain biblical principles. How many of you have been attacked by, by what you've stood for? I had a boss that, I, that uh, the Lord helped me get through. I don't know how many times she tried, to get, she, she tried to get rid of me over my Christian principles. What I stood for, for Christ. And it says, now I have not been persecuted or beaten physically, but mentally and emotionally I have been beaten. How about you? What about your family members? I shared this with Dorcas and, Dorcas and uh, Denver. We went out and ate Sunday night. Tammy and I, Tammy has some family and I have some family, both. But as far as being... Uh, attending church and stuff in my family among our sisters and among my siblings and her siblings we're the only ones that consistently attend church and they like to plan all their parties and everything on Sunday and so when we don't attend we are persecuted over that we are the goody two shoes we are the uh, the Christian so far uh, the Christian people uh, we are the, the ones that they sit around and talk about all the time do you think that hurts coming from family it does it's an emotional feeling it hurts it hurts us and I looked across at Dorcas and I said, you know, I said, it's times like that that makes you appreciate your, your church family more than your real family. Because you've got people to lean on. Am I in God's will coming to this church? Yes. But did he, did he say that I wouldn't be persecuted? No. Matter of fact, Jesus seems to disagree that we will not be persecuted. He said, And ye shall be betrayed both by parents, brethren, and kinsfolks, and friends, and some of you shall they cause to be put to death, and ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but there shall not a hair of your head perish. Luke 21, 16 through 18. By the way, think of the many missionaries and Christians in closed countries today who are being physically persecuted for Christ's sake. Can we tell them you're never more safe than when you're in God's will? Some of you, some of you those, it says they'll slaughter, you'll be entirely safe. Huh. It says the promises sound contradictory, but they're not. Just a martyr, one, 
was almost certainly reflecting on this passage when he said that they can kill us, but they cannot harm us. He says, I love that only a Christian could say something so crazy. He says, God has promised us many wonderful things. Physical safety is not one of them. But brutal life circumstances are normal in a fallen world. Pursuing God may even lead into greater physical danger, but you will be spiritually alive and eternally secure. And I'm just telling you right now, we need to be really thinking about this because you may say, I may never face physical persecution, but your children and your grandchildren may. America is under attack by Satan. And we're not far from what these other nations are suffering. Number three, the cliche that that needs to go is let go and let God. How many of y'all heard that before? Hear it all the time. So at its best, this phrase highlights the value of surrender. It says, God is, God is God, and you are not, so lay down your resume, your excuses, and your fears. It says, all too often, though, though the phrase is wielded as if the symbol of Christianity, it's not a cross, but a couch. People say, well, I'm going to let go and let God, and they'll go sit down and let God do, let, they'll say, we're going to let God do the work. But that's not the way the Christian life works. It's substantially used to, be, to put the brakes on striving or working or effort. Now, if let go and let God solely reference the moment of justification, it would be fine. Now, when you're talking about your salvation, you can say let go and let God because he does it all. He does the whole work of salvation. But when it comes to working out your salvation, that's that's where we have to be involved. The Christian life is grueling. When Paul reflects on it, he doesn't think of sunsets and naps, but soldiers and athletes and farmers. He says he thinks of, of running tracks and boxing rings. You can see that in 2 Timothy 2, 3 through, 2, 3 through 6. He says, they all therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet he cannot crown, cannot crown except he strive lawfully. This, the husband that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Then in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, it says, Know ye not, they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain, and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain corruptible, a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it to subjection, lest that by any means, when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. He says, we are called to work out what God has already worked in us, laboring not for our salvation, but from it. Philippians 2, 12 through 13 says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but how much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And here's the key to that. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. It's not you working it out. It's God working out of you. 
Am I right? So the, deny, the dynamic of restful vigilance that the, Puritans, that the Puritans called holy sweat lies at the heart of Christian experience. As J.I. Packer once put it, the Christian motto should not be let go and let God, but trust God and get going. Number four, the cliche that we ought to get rid of is God will not give you more than you can handle. How many people have heard that before? God will not give you more than you can ha handle. In a culture that tells us we can, we can be anything we desire, this motivational slogan is meant to encourage, to reassure us that life won't be too hard. There will be challenges, sure, but God knows my limits. He won't overdo it. The problem, however, is that God will give you more than you can handle. Stay with me. He'll do it to make you lean on him. He'll do it because he loves you. Over the past few years, a few things have encouraged me as much as reading the letters of John Newton, the former slave trader who penned Amazing Grace. In one letter to a widow fearing death, Newton writes, though our framers and perceptions may vary. The report of faith concerning the time of death is the same. He says, the Lord usually reserves dying strength for a dying hour. When the time shall arrive, which he has appointed for your dismissal, I make no doubt, but that he will overpower all your fears, silence all your enemies, and give you a comfortable, triumphant entrance into his kingdom. You have nothing to fear from death, for Jesus, by dying, has disarmed it of its sting has perfumed the grave and opened the gates of glory for his believing people. See, we have nothing. God will never give us more than we can handle, not even death. You see, the good news is not that God won't give us more than we can handle. It's that he won't give us more than he can handle. Fifth cliche that we need to get rid of is God helps those who help themselves. I'm not aware of a statement more commonly misidentified as a Bible verse. And the fact is that it originates from, does anybody know? Benjamin Franklin. It says not God's word, is, it does not originate from God's word. It's the best news you, you will encounter today. If God only helps those who help themselves, we're all sunk, aren't we? But he didn't come for moral standouts. He came for moral failures. He came for us. Matthew 9, 12 through 13 says, But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And then Luke 19, 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. It says, While this slogan may be a fine summary of the teaching of the religions, uh, of, the religions of the world, the entire message of Christianity hinges on the fact that as Charles Spurgeon once quipped, God helps those who cannot help themselves. Indeed, he helps those who humble themselves, who repent and rely on Jesus alone.
So there are five cliches that we need to get rid of. You say, Brother Jared, why are you saying all these things? We need to be careful about what we say to people. Even as Christians, we need to be careful about how, what we, how we use our words and the way we talk to people. It's a big thing. James wrote a whole chapter on it in James chapter 3. The psalmists talk about it quite a bit. You see, truth is loving. It says, while the five, by the heart behind these five cliches is often genuine, they are all unhelpful for one overriding reason. They are unbiblical. Speaking biblically isn't just a matter of truth. It's an issue of love. God's words, after all, aren't just true. They're also good for the world. May we love our neighbors by stewarding our words and steward our words by speaking what's true. For love rejoices with the truth. 1 Corinthians 13, 6 says, Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. If we have something we need to say to somebody, let's, say, let's, let's tell them a Bible verse. Let's give them the word of God. Let's quit using the one-liners, the little things that we say with our tongue. can be hurtful or can be helpful. Let's build each other up. Let's exalt each other as Christians.